In soccer, the U.S. is still undefeated against England in the World Cup. It's called soccer. There's perhaps nothing more embarrassing than scoring an own goal. This rather self-explanatory term refers to a goal scored, usually unintentionally, by a player on their own team's goal. To qualify as an own goal, an initial shot has to be off target and get redirected into the goal. As devastating as an own goal in just any match can be, scoring an own goal in the World Cup is even worse. Since the inaugural World Cup in 1930, 54 own goals have been scored in matches played at the tournament. As of the writing of this episode, two own goals have been scored in the 2022 World Cup, both in the group stage. Naif Aguerd of Morocco scored an own goal against Canada, and Manuel Neuer of Germany scored an own goal against Costa Rica. The first own goal in World Cup history was scored at the 1930 World Cup by Manuel Rosas of Mexico in a match against Chile. One own goal has been scored in a World Cup final match. In the 2018 World Cup final against France, Mario Mandzukic of Croatia scored an own goal, although he soon rectified this mistake with a goal for Croatia. This made Mandzukic the second player ever to score for both teams in the same match. The first to achieve this feat was Ernie Brantz of the Netherlands in a 1978 World Cup match against Italy. One own goal has been scored during extra time. At the 1954 World Cup, Jimmy Dickinson of England scored an own goal against Belgium in the 94th minute. Only once have two own goals been scored in the same match. In a 2002 World Cup match between Portugal and the US, Jorge Costa of Portugal and Jeff Agus of the US both scored own goals. Overall, it seems that Mexico has been the clear loser of the existence of own goals, while France has been the clear winner. Mexico has scored four own goals in World Cup history and has also played 60 matches in which it has not benefited from opponents' own goals. France has benefited from six opponent own goals and has played 69 matches in which it has not scored an own goal. And thankfully, these own goals usually result in nothing worse than severe embarrassment. Usually. Sports betting, although still illegal in 20 U.S. states, is a historic pastime that involves the wagering of money on the results of sporting events. Where sports betting gets messy is when organized crime gets involved. In these cases, it is common for sports bettors associated with organized crime syndicates to make agreements with athletes, coaches, or referees in order to fix the results of matches that these bettors place wages on. Arguably the most infamous example of this was the 1919 World Series betting scandal, colloquially known as the Black Sox scandal. This incident saw eight Chicago White Sox players conspire with a gambling syndicate to throw the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. After the Reds won the series 5-3 and the plan was discovered, all eight players, including the legendary Shoeless Joe Jackson, were banned for life from baseball. 
In 2000, the sport of cricket was rocked by a betting scandal when South African cricketer Hansi Kronje was found to have met with an Indian gambling ring to discuss the South African team throwing its matches against the Indian team. Kronje was banned for life from cricket in 2000 and he was killed under suspicious circumstances in a 2002 plane crash. It has been theorized that this crash may have been part of a deliberate plan to tie up loose ends. More recently, in 2007, it was discovered that NBA referee Tim Donaghy had participated in a similar scheme. Donaghy, who had refereed NBA games since 1994, was reportedly paid by Mafia associates to fix the results of basketball games that the Mafia was betting on. Donaghy was unceremoniously banned from the NBA and was later sentenced to 15 months in federal prison. At the World Cup, meanwhile, a match-fixing scandal would be subject to intense scrutiny. To my knowledge, nothing like this has ever happened at a World Cup. There was, however, one time when a gambling syndicate's wagers on a World Cup match became deadly. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 77th episode of this podcast, and I'm excited for you to listen to it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing. Make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Andres Escobar Saldariaga was born in Medellin, Colombia on March 13, 1967. His father, Dario Escobar, is a successful banker who now runs a nonprofit that encourages impoverished youth to play soccer rather than turning to gangs. Escobar reportedly had a middle-class upbringing, but the high crime rate of Medellin left his family unsure about their ability to live in the city. Born with a passion for soccer, Escobar attended Instituto Conrado Gonzalez, where he quickly rose the ranks of scholastic soccer leagues. In 1985, Escobar and his brother Santiago joined the under-20 squad of Atletico Nacional, based in Medellin. The next year, when Escobar was 19, he was promoted to the team's primary squad as a defender. Escobar was playing for Atletico Nacional when the team won the 1989 Copa Libertadores, South America's top soccer club competition, and he was praised for his commitment to fair play during the tournament. In 1989, Escobar was traded to BSC Young Boys, a Swiss team based in Bern. The next year, he was traded back to Atletico Nacional. Meanwhile, in 1988, Escobar joined the Colombia national soccer team. He made his national team debut in a match against Canada, which Colombia won 3-0. That same year, Escobar scored the only goal of his career in a match against England that ended in a 1-1 draw. 
After a near-miss qualifying round, Escobar played for Colombia during the 1990 World Cup in Italy, in which Colombia reached the round of 16. Escobar had established himself as a reliable defensive player for the team, so it made sense that he was called up once again for the 1994 World Cup in the United States. Colombia qualified for the 1994 World Cup with flying colors. Drawn into a group containing Argentina, Paraguay, and Peru, Colombia had an undefeated qualifying run, winning four matches and drawing two. In the tournament, 17th-ranked Colombia was placed in Group A alongside 7th-ranked Romania, 12th-ranked Switzerland, and the 23rd-ranked United States. Group A's matches began on June 18, 1994, with a 1-1 draw between the U.S. and Switzerland at the Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan. That same day, Colombia's World Cup run started off rough with a 3-1 loss to Romania at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. This match, in which Andres Escobar appeared, saw one goal scored by Colombian forward Adolfo Valencia, one goal scored by Romanian midfielder George Hadji, and two goals scored by Romanian forward Florian Radicoiu. Four days later, group play continued with Switzerland's 4-1 victory over Romania at the Silverdome. Following this match, Switzerland led the group with four points, followed by Romania with three points, the U.S. with one point, and Colombia with zero points. This meant that, in Colombia's next match against the U.S., they would be in desperate need of either a win or a draw. The two teams would return to the Rose Bowl for a match that will be witnessed by almost 94,000 spectators. At 4.30 p.m. Pacific Time on June 22, 1994, the match at the Rose Bowl between Colombia and the U.S. began. Most of the first half passed without a single goal scored, and as halftime approached, both teams were still looking at a blank score. Then, Andres Escobar made, quite literally, a fatal mistake. A number of great saves, as Hart's now, with Calagiri overlapping on the far side, sends it inside his own goal! The USA gets the score, Escobar, on the own goal, and the United States leads Colombia one to nothing. Around the 34th minute of the match, American midfielder John Harks, originally from Kearney, New Jersey, attempted to cross a shot to American midfielder Paul Caligiuri. Simultaneously, Escobar ran between the two American players. In an attempt to intercept the pass, Escobar slid to block the ball. In a horrifying turn of events, however, Escobar mistimed his slide. As a result, the ball was deflected off of Escobar's shoe, rolled past Colombian goalkeeper Oscar Cordoba, and settled in Colombia's own goal. The U.S. took a 1-0 lead. After halftime, around the 52nd minute, American forward Ernie Stewart scored once more, increasing the U.S.'s lead to 2-0. 
pitifully, Colombia's only goal of the match was a 90th minute goal by Colombian forward Adolfo Valencia, with the final result being an American 2-1 victory over Colombia. Colombia would go on to win 2-0 against Switzerland in their June 26, 1994 match at Stanford Stadium in Stanford, California, a match that featured goals by Colombian midfielders Hernan Gaviria and Harold Lozano. Nevertheless, Colombia's hopes of advancing to the group stage were crushed by Romania's 1-0 victory over the U.S. at the Rose Bowl that same day, which left Colombia in fourth place. Colombia was eliminated from the World Cup in the group stage, and Brazil would go on to win the tournament. Interestingly, the 1994 World Cup final between Brazil and Italy would be decided by a penalty shootout, which ended after Italian forward Roberto Baggio notoriously shot wide over the crossbar. Baggio would eventually recover from his embarrassing mistake, but the same cannot be said for Escobar. Prior to the 1994 World Cup, Andres Escobar had made plans to visit relatives in Las Vegas, Nevada after the tournament's conclusion. Distraught over his own goal, however, Escobar prematurely returned to Colombia before the end of the World Cup. The day after Escobar returned home, he and a group of friends decided to spend the night at the El Indio nightclub in Medellin. Escobar's friends left the club after a couple of hours, but Escobar himself remained at the club until 3 a.m. on July 2, 1994. As he walked to his car to return home, three men approached Escobar in the parking lot. After a brief argument, Escobar was shot six times by one of the men with a 38 caliber handgun. Despite the efforts of medical personnel, Escobar died in the hospital from blood loss 45 minutes later. He was 27 years old. The next night, Humberto Castro Munoz, a bodyguard for drug cartel boss Santiago Gayon, confessed to the murder. Gayon was reportedly outraged by Escobar's own goal, having wagered and lost a large sum of money on Colombia winning the match against the U.S. Munoz was convicted of the murder in 1995 and sentenced to 43 years in prison, although this sentence was soon controversially reduced to 26 years. Some, including Escobar's widow Pamela Cascardo, believe that the shortening of the sentence was the result of Gayon's bribery of judicial officials. Ultimately, Munoz would serve only 11 years in prison before being paroled in 2005. Escobar's funeral was attended by over 120,000 people, and in 2002, a statue of him was unveiled in Medellin. To this day, Colombian soccer fans bring photos of Escobar to matches in order to honor him, demonstrating that, for the most part, Colombia has indeed forgiven him for his own goal. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I thought the topic was very timely, considering that the World Cup is still ongoing. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. 
feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.